And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December the 20th. And when my... There we go. System decides to cooperate. It's the 354th day of the year. 11 days remain to the year's over with. And we can do it all over again. Alrighty. Uh, holidays and observances. National Sangria Day. Well, cathode ray tube day, dot your eyes day, games day, go caroling day, Mikhail Sakra day, mud day, celebrates Dr. Mud, who uh, set Lee Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald. John Wilkes Booth's leg that he broke when he jumped from the box to the stage, and it was decided he was a conspirator. National Greg Day, National Stephen Day, and Sacagawea Day. Alrighty. Well. A.D. 69, Antonius Primus enters Rome to claim the title of emperor for Nero's former general, Vespasian. 1192, Richard I of England is captured and imprisoned by Leopold V of Austria on his way home to England after the Third Crusade. This is where Richard's uh, story gets involved with Robin Hood. 1334, Cardinal Jacques Fournier, a Cistercian monk, is elected Pope Benedict XII. 1803, Louisiana Purchase is completed at a ceremony in New Orleans. Should have been a warranty on that. 1808, Peninsula War, the Siege of Zaragoza begins. The... Uh, The second siege of uh, Zaragoza. That was the French capture of the Spanish city uh, during the Peninsula War. Particularly noted for its brutality. The city was heavily outnumbered against the French, despite the desperate resistance put up by the Army of Reserve and its civilian allies. Uh, greater part of the city was destroyed. Garrison suffered 24,000 deaths, being augmented by 30,000 civilian dead. The, uh, you have to keep in mind that the French and the Spanish uh, spent a lot of time fighting each other. 1832, HMS Cleo, under the command of Captain Onslow, arrives at uh, Port Edgemont under orders to take possession of the Falkland Islands. 
1860, South Carolina becomes the first state to attempt to succeed from the U.S. with the South Carolina Declaration of Succession. So at the time, the states joined the Union. Uh, and leaving wasn't even something to be discussed, so there was no um, method in the Constitution to do that. 1915, World War I, the last Australian troops were evacuated from Gallipoli. 1917, Cheka, the first Soviet secret police force, is founded on this state. 1924, Adolf Hitler's released from Landsberg Prison. He'd been arrested for um, what amounted to treason. 1940, Captain America Comics number 1, containing the first appearance of the superhero Captain America, is published. That would have a very nice price tag if you had one. 1941, World War II. First battle of the American Volunteer Group, better known as the Flying Tigers in Kunming, China, took place on this date. 1942, World War II. Japanese Air Forces bombed Calcutta, India. 1946, It's a Wonderful Life premieres at the Globe Theater in New York to mixed reviews. Also in 46, an earthquake in Nankaido, Japan, causes a tsunami that Kills at least a 1,000 people and destroys 36,000 homes. 1948, Indonesian National Revolution. Dutch military captures uh, Yogi Yakarta, the temporary capital of the newly formed Republic of Indonesia. 1951, the EBR-1 in Arco, Idaho, becomes the first nuclear power plant to generate electricity. Electricity powered four, count them, four light bulbs. 1952, United States Air Force C-124 crashes and burns in Moses Lake, Washington. With 115 people on board, 87 died. 1955, Cardiff is proclaimed the capital city of Wales in the UK. 1957, uh, initial production version of the Boeing 707 makes its first flight. 1967, the Pennsylvania Railroad Bud Metro Liner exceeds uh, 249 kilometers per hour. That's 155 miles per hour on their New York division. Also, present-day Amtrak's the Northeast Corridor. 1973, an assassination of Luis Carrero Blanco, a car bomb uh, planted by um, ETA in Madrid kills three people including the Prime Minister of Spain, Admiral Luis Carrero Blanco. Just got an interesting news flash. The Lincoln Memorial Well, what happened to it? The steps were vandalized with free Gaza graffiti. National Park Service is working right now to remove red spray paint with the words Free Gaza. Dandalism was discovered in the area of the Lincoln Memorial Circle in the reflecting pool, according to the U.S. Park Police. National Park Service conservators uh, have begun the process of removing the paint this morning. It may take multiple treatments over several days to remove all of it. And the steps on the west side of the reflecting pool are closed to visitors while they're doing this. I think what we've got, 
are the inmates trying their best to run the asylum. All right. 1984, the Summit Tunnel Fire, one of the largest transportation tunnel fires in history, burns after a uh, freight train carrying over a million liters of gasoline derails near the town of Todd Morden in England in the Pennines. Also in 1984, disappearance of Janelle Matthews from Greeley, Colorado. Her remains were discovered on July 23, 2019, located about 15 miles southeast of her home. Cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. And even the Keystone cops that we have in many of our law enforcement agencies determined that was probably uh, murder. In 1985, Pope John Paul II announces the institution of World Youth Day. Nineteen eighty seven. The worst peacetime sea disaster. Passenger ferry Donna Paz sinks after colliding with the oil tanker MT Vector in the Tabla Strait of the Philippines. Killed an estimated uh, 4,000 people. The official count 1,749, but a lot of folks uh, are usually overlooked in the official counts. 1989, U.S. invasion of Panama deposes Emmanuel Noriega. I spent... Uh, not quite three years in Panama. Interesting place. It's like stepping back to the 1950s. 1991, a Missouri court sentences the Palestinian militant Zine Issa and his wife uh, Marina, uh, excuse me, Maria, to death for the honor killing of their daughter, Palestina. You don't play by the rules, they kill you. Because Allah said so. 1995, NATO begins peacekeeping in Bosnia. Uh, 1995, American Airlines Flight 965, a Boeing 757, crashes into a mountain 50 kilometers north of Cali, Colombia. Of the 163 people on board, 159 are killed. 1999, Macau is handed over to, the, to China by Portugal. 2004, gang of thieves steal... 26.5 million pounds worth of currency from the Donegal Square West headquarters of Northern Bank in Belfast, Northern Ireland. One of the largest bank robberies in British history. 2007, Elizabeth II becomes the oldest monarch in the history of the UK, surpassing Queen Victoria, who lived for 81 years and 243 days. Also in 2007, the portrait of Suzanne Bloch, about the Spanish artist Pablo Picasso and O Labrador de Café, the Brazilian modernist painter Candido Portinari, stolen from the Sao Paulo uh, Museum of Art in Brazil. Both will be recovered a few weeks later. 2019, the United States Space Force becomes the first new branch of the U.S. Armed Forces since 1947, when the Air Force was created. Well, we have been talking about all kinds of things. The last two days I've been talking about shortwave radio. But I'm going to go back to one of my favorite topics, and that's haunted locations. True life paranormal encounters. 
In this particular case, we're talking about asylums, hospitals, and institutions. And we're going to go to East Bethany, New York, the Rolling Hills Asylum. Now, it was once the uh, local county farm and poorhouse place that housed uh, those who aren't able to work or otherwise take care of themselves, such as the elderly, the infirm, the mentally ill, the homeless, the blind, the orphaned children, and wide range of other castaways from regular society. Opened its doors New Year's Day, 1827. And the poorhouse was basically your last stop before hitting rock bottom. Where else might single mothers find themselves mixed in with the criminally insane? And this was the place in which the mentally ill would go for basic shelter and rudimentary treatment. And those residents of the poorhouse who were physically able to were set to work farming the nearby agricultural land, contributing uh, toward the upkeep of their home in the rest of Genesa County. The, uh, I'm sure you hear the peanut gallery tuning up. Now, for those who died in the poorhouse, although the precise number's really not clear, um, educated estimates put the number at about 170, were rarely family members who were willing or able to provide a traditional Christian burial. So the dead bodies were buried in a nearby potter's field, that's the term for a pauper's graveyard, which was somewhere on the site. However, when the facility closed down, the makeshift cemetery became overgrown and its precise location has been lost to posterity. Now, in the 1950s, Rolling Hills became a nursing home and played that role for about 25 years. Then spent two more decades abandoned before becoming a shopping mall named the Rolling Hills Carriage Village during the 1990s. Today it's owned by, uh, but in private hands. Now, ghostly activity is said to be plentiful at Rolling Hills even today, and it's hard not to find sympathy for some of the unfortunate souls that are said to haunt the place. One frightening but benevolent spirit is that of Roy, sent to the asylum as an inmate during childhood and stayed there entire life. He was a true gentle giant. Uh, and he actually did have gigantism. His uh, harmless but hulking shade is still seen. He's about seven feet tall, and he wanders the halls of rolling hills. And photographs have even been taken of his uh, shadowy form. Now, shadow figures are commonly seen throughout the building. There's an apparition of a goateed man who's also a staple ghost sighting there. And with echoes of Harry Potter's moaning myrtle, the ghost of an elderly lady haunts the ladies' toilets. That's something to uh, relieve yourself to. Disembodied footsteps have been reported by witnesses who are exploring the second floor of the East Wing, coming from directly above them. And that's a little bit disconcerting, since there is no third floor above the East Wing. Toys move around by themselves in the basement, as though played with by the invisible hands of ghostly children. This takes place in what's known as the Christmas Room, because it's uh, decked out with Christmas decorations. Orphan children of the poorhouse once came here to 
meet Santa Claus during the holiday season. And maybe they're the ones who are moving the rocking horse that still sits there. Or the ones who grasp the hands of unsuspected visitors and giving them the fright of their lives. You know, some of the phantoms are, uh, frankly, distinctly disturbing, such as out of, there's any. So asylum focal insists, uh, was not only set on mistreating her patients, but was also keen to practice black magic at Rolling Hills during her lifetime. And if there's truth to this aspect of the tale, it, you wonder what dark energies might have been stirred up during the course of those rituals that she conducted. The recreation room, in which inmates could escape for a while, maybe even have a little fun, is known for having chairs that uh, move all by themselves, and some visitors have captured the images of ghostly residents sitting on the chairs when they take photos of a, what's otherwise a seemingly um, empty room. And off to one side of the rec room is the, the chapel, in which objects also move without apparent cause. One disturbing phenomena that takes place in the boiler room has been reported by several visitors on a number of occasions. People walking down the stairs that lead to that particular room claim to have been pushed by some sort of invisible force. When investigators from the Atlantic Paranormal Society, or TAPS as they're known, investigated Rolling Hills as part of their TV show Ghost Hunters, star Jason Hawes was surprised when a door closed on him uh, while he was checking out a small room located adjacent to the boiler room. And it was seen that whoever haunts this particular part of the asylum really does not like company. The Ghost Adventures crew also uh, experienced the door slamming violently in Rolling Hills during the recording of their TV show. Maybe the spirits are a little camera shy. Mike Car Cardinuto and his colleagues from Long Island Paranormal Investigators uh, visited Rolling Hills on three occasions. Worked hard to cover as much of the facility with cameras and microphones and human investigators as possible. The asylum facility is huge, more than 65,000 feet in size and that's not counting the tunnels underneath it and the various minor buildings that surround it it's down in the basement that the original morgue can also be found during their search mike's team uncovered a story of bodies being placed in the meat freezers in the basement during a tuberculosis outbreaks because the morgue is full of capacity and not all of the patients were actually dead at the time they were placed in the uh, meat freezers no wonder the basement is so active. Coupled with the fact that electroshock therapy was carried out down there, you, you can uh, maybe understand why so many electronic voice phenomena are recorded by investigators in that area. One of the weirdest things uh, that was recorded was down in the boiler room. You had a Geiger counter set up in there and it actually started picking up gamma radiation. And that's almost never happened uh, on a paranormal investigation, so very rare. The theory was that a ghost manifesting might be emitting some radiation, which might have tripped their counter. And while strolling around the second floor of the East Wing, one member of the Long Island team was touched on the back of the neck in an otherwise empty corridor. And the sound of disembodied footsteps and shuffling feet were a constant accompaniment to the investigators on this floor during the nighttime. And the rather less common sounds of a doorknob turning and a key being dropped are also recorded. In the hallway, one floor down, another investigator was setting up a remote camera when he was startled by the 
appearance is something absolutely incredible. He was sitting up the camera on a tripod, and a shuttle person walked right out in front of him. The investigator freaked out and ran down the hall yelling for help. When his fellow investigators asked what had sent him running, he told him about the shadow figure. And then he said, I can't believe that just happened. Stuff like this isn't supposed to happen. Well, according to um, the leader of this little merry band of men, he was one of the biggest skeptics in the group. Just that one experience made him a believer. While investigating the Christmas room, other investigators reported seeing a shapeless black mass hovering in the air in front of them. Sighting was accompanied by a brief spike in electromagnetic energy levels, which quickly settled back to normal when the form disappeared. Investigator Cheryl uh, Whitman was in the first floor restroom when the door suddenly closed on her, despite having remained uh, wide open all through the night. Poked her head outside and found the hallway to be completely deserted. Well, a ramp leads down from the east wing's second floor to the basement. And about 3.30 in the morning, investigator Thelma D'Amico, standing on the ramp when she happened to glance down and caught a startling sight in the doorway to the Christmas room. She saw a head and a pair of shoulders. Thelma and her colleagues knew that the basement was empty and so they searched it from top to bottom. Not surprisingly, they didn't find anybody. Of all the EVPs captured by the Long Island research team, maybe the most fascinating and disturbing is recorded in the cafeteria, which also doubled as the temporary headquarters for the investigation. The sound of a chilling scream was recorded, though heard by nobody present at the time in the room, followed by just a few seconds later by a softer, softer hiss. The source of these EVPs has never been satisfactorily explained, but... The Long Island teams just one of many teams that have captured the screaming noises at Rolling Hills. Indeed, the Ghost Adventures crew captured them during the re uh, recording of their lockdown. And according to a member of the Long Island team, we'd already picked up an EVP in his headquarters area that sounded like somebody dropped a box and slid it across the floor, which was actually pretty interesting. But the atmosphere in the headquarters area is surprisingly normal. Once you get a little further inside, the third floor has by far the, the creepiest feeling. It's where you really feel like you're being oppressed. It's where the doctors and nurses' quarters were. Second floor is what they call the shadow floor, and they had quite a few patient rooms. Atmosphere up there had its uh, moments. In time, it felt really heavy, and they had a psychic in the group, and when he walked into one of the rooms, he felt an extremely overwhelming feeling that he started crying. He was with another investigator, and they both experienced this huge um, temperature drop. Most activity they got was on the second floor, um, but the place where you feel the most watched, that would be on the third floor. Well, returning here later for a second bout, the, the team experienced even more bizarre activity. Physical sensations uh, included one investigator who felt like she was stopped by something at the top of the stairs. Something she felt didn't want her to go up there. Those feelings were widespread across the team, and with a number of them uh, feeling uneasy and dizzy, along with a definite lack of being uh, welcomed by whatever entities were there.
Well, a set of legs wandered past the doorway in the first floor smoking room, followed shortly after that by an odd light being seen in the corridor outside. Investigator who observed this extraordinary sight were going to report hearing music playing within that same room. Well, when three of the the team staked out that room, they heard the sound of a dog barking from a few rooms further down the hallway. Well, they called out to try and draw the dog if it was a dog toward them, and investigator Cheryl Whitman's voice was mimicked by something that called back to her in the same manner. And although the investigators heard this exchange with their own ears, it was fascinating to note that none of the responses to the team would appear on the digital voice recorders. Well, many paranormal research teams now employ laser, grid, laser grids to help cover darkened hallways. Relatively cheap devices are used to shine a battery of laser beams down a hallway, creating a colorful grid when they hit a wall at the far end. And when something breaks the grid, it's usually a sign that some form of shadow activity is in play. In the east wing, second floor beams were broken by something passing from left to right on two occasions. Needless to say, there was nobody else on that floor with them at the time. Down in the basement, investigator Peter Ferraro was in the middle of conducting an EVP session when an invisible hand grabbed his leg. And that will definitely make you uh, start dancing. It took place in the Christmas room, so hopefully it was the hand of a playful child rather than one of the asylum's less savory occupants, such as the spirit named Raymond, who researchers believe was a child molester during his lifetime. One of the members of the team said there was a lot of interaction. If you ask something to answer a question, you'll get a bang in response. We got a lot of bang in there and a lot of screaming. And a lot of the activity is very intelligent, much more so than it's residual. Now, residual is the same activity over and over and over. Intelligent means it's interacting with you now. They'd ask if anybody was there with them, and they'd get two bangs right away. Well, according to the Long Island research team, it's uh, one of the most active places they've ever investigated. Every single time they go there, they've gotten evidence, and uh, they actually plan yearly uh, returns. Well, let's go to, from Bethany Hills to London in the UK, University College Hospital. Well, when you consider its centuries of blood and tragic history, it shouldn't be the least tr- surprising to learn the city of London's home to the to more reported ghost sightings per square mile than any other city in the world. Accounts of shades and specters drifting through the halls of many historic London buildings are commonplace, and there are ghosts of men and women who are both ordinary and extraordinary. And behind every ghost sighting can be found a fascinating human interest story. None more so than the tragic tale of a young lady whose name was Elizabeth Church. Now, as the 19th century drew to a close, Elizabeth, or Lizzie to her friends, uh, was a nurse lurking at University College Hospital on Gower Street in the Bloomsbury area of the city. Fiance was admitted to the hospital as a patient and a Tragic twist of uh, fate found uh, Lizzie assigned to care for him on one of the wards. And though it's not known precisely what illness afflicted him, it must have been something caused a great deal of pain because Lizzie was directed to administer morphine to him in order to give him some relief. 
Well, morphine's a very potent analgesic drug that's still widely used today. Um, nurses might find themselves injecting it into the vein of a patient suffering from a heart attack. Another who sustained severe burns or somebody who's fractured a bone or dislocated a joint. But it is a drug that has to be given with caution because if it's given too rapidly and too great an amount, it may not only drop the blood pressure to dangerous levels, it can also depress the respiration dri respiratory drive to such an extent the patient stops breathing and dies. Now, for those who practice medicine in the 21st century, a drug is available to counteract a morphine overdose. So if the patient reacts badly to the drug, there's something can be done about it. But naloxone, or Narcan, as it's more commonly known, wasn't invented until 1961, almost 70 years after Lizzie Church accidentally administered a fatal dose of morphine to her intended husband. Well, unable to live with the grief of and guilt of killing the man she loved, she was overcome with grief and took her own life. Well, doctors and nurses working at University College Hospital in the decades since then have sometimes been shocked to look up from their patient's bedside and see the apparition of a ghostly nurse hovering in the background, staring balefully back at them. The apparition wears period clothes and seems to be trying to convey a warning, one that all medical professionals would do well to heed. Watch out for your drug dosing. So can it really be coincidence that the mournful ghost of Lizzie Church is most often seen when a patient's just about to be injected with pain-killing medication, especially with morphine. You know, curses are one of those things in which one either believes or doesn't believe, and most of us today tend to laugh them off as mere, mere fodder for scary movies. But for those that do believe in them, curses is no laughing matter. For more than 150 years, the framed portrait of an eminent surgeon by the name of Marcus Beck was displayed high on a wall at the University College Hospital. Now, the nursing staff at the hospital firmly believed the painting was cursed, and that any unwary person who would sit underneath the painting and drift off to sleep would become seriously ill, and in some cases, they wouldn't wake up again. Well, it wasn't long before a dark superstition grew to surround the painting. Surgeon's portrait was left uncovered overnight. Either a patient or somebody employed at or connected with the hospital would die suddenly. Although most medical professionals are rational and scientific individuals by training and by nature, most people are not entirely without a uh, superstitious tendency. Nurses at University College Hospital eventually developed expectations regarding the idea that Beck's painting was somehow cursed. And... What grew to be a long-term tradition was a solemn duty of the oncoming night shift nurses to cover up the painting when it began their watch in the evening. Your daytime counterparts would uncover it first thing in the morning. Until the year 2001, when an opportunistic thief actually stole the painting. Now, you're forced to wonder... Where the thief actually hung the painting? Hopefully not any any place they might sit or fall asleep. University College Hospital is also haunted by the ghost of a larger-than-life figure, the esteemed philosopher Jeremy Bentham, 
Among many other things, he was a renowned social and legal reformer who tried unsuccessfully to introduce a national prison he intended to call the Panopticon. The idea never really gained any traction, but he was more successful in uh, his efforts to father a bill that ultimately brought to life the, the Thames River Police Service. That's a band of maritime officers who patrolled the length of Britain's greatest river in pursuit of criminals. Well, throughout the course of his lifetime, Jeremy Bentham wrote millions of words that span a wide variety of subject areas. He acknowledged an expert in the legal domain, that of the natural sciences and philosophy of all its numerous forms. And most of his papers are preserved and archived at University College in London to this day. Notoriously eccentric and prone to somewhat unusual turns of behavior. His future biographers concluded he may well have possessed a form of Asperger's. He was uh, well known around University College in London and his attached hospital for wearing distinctive white gloves and carrying a walking stick, each one of which uh, had its own individual name. At the time of his death, his last walking stick went by the name of Dapple. We had a highly specific, unique uh, sense of what he wanted to happen to his body immediately after his death, which took place at his London home, June 6, 1832. He asked that in the presence of his friends, his corpse would be carefully dissected and turned into what was known at the time as an auto-icon. An auto-icon was essentially a mummified body, such as a taxidermist might create, and uh, it was laid out clearly in his will, which is now kept at the British National Archives. But two days after his death, Bentham's body was cut up in the manner he requested. The preserved skeleton was dressed in one of his best suits, stuffed with hay in order to fill out uh, its appearance somewhat, given gloves and posed in a seated position with Dapple resting between his knees. Unfortunately, something went badly wrong with his head during the process of preservation. The finished product, complete with glass eyes, stuck into the sockets, uh, eyes that he carried around with him in his pocket during the last few years of his life, would not look out of place in a horror movie. The head was so grotesque and zombie-like that it regularly unnerved visitors who came to the college, so the decision was made to replace it with a wax substitute that looked far more lifelike and natural. College students throughout the world are notorious for their love of playing practical jokes and pranks, and this tendency came to a head in 1975 when uh, students from a rival college kidnapped Jerry Bentham's desiccated head and held it for ransom. The ransom was duly paid to the kidnapper's selected charity, and the head is returned safely to its home at University College. A further kidnap attempts ensued, including one memorable incident in which the head was used for football practice. Now safely kept under lock and key by college authorities, officially classified as human remains, it can only be viewed by visitors under rare and exceptional circumstances. Now permanent displayed in the South Cloister section of the main college building where it greets visitors, Jeremy Bentham's auto icon has become uh, such a popular object of curiosity University College London has created a way for the public to view it online. A virtual auto-icon allows you to rotate around the mummy in a full circle and view it from a uh, multitude of angles. If you're curious and like to take a look for yourself, go online and check it out. 
number of tall tales have sprung up about the auto icon through the years, the most popular being it sometimes attends meetings at the college council. Uh, wearing a typically British display of dry humor, he said to be present but not voting. Well, he's used to cast a tie-breaking vote. He said to always vote in favor of the motion being presented. And although this makes for a wonderful tale, in reality, the administration of University College London denies this actually ever happened. Well, the bizarre and fascinating afterlife of Jerry Bentham isn't restricted to just his physical remains, though. His uh, ghost has been seen and heard in the corridors of both University College and uh, the hospital that bears its name. In his classic tome, Haunted London, the uh, ghost hunter Peter Underwood reports uh, Bentham's last walking stick, Dapple, has been heard tapping throughout the corridors on winter evenings, along with his uh, heavy footfall on the tiles. And his ghost gets the blame for moving objects around without apparent rhyme or reason in one of the classrooms. And Underwood goes on to recount the tale of mathematics master Neil King, who once heard the sounds of Dapple tapping its way toward his classroom one night. Curiously, he, Mr. King poked his head out into the corridor and came face to face with the apparition of Jerry Bentham, working his way toward the mathematics classroom. Ghost appeared, unaware of the flesh-and-blood teacher's presence, but at the last minute the form seemed to dart forward and almost throw itself bodily at the teacher. Well, there was no sensation of impact, and King realized that all sight and sound of Bentham had actually disappeared. Staff of University College Hospitals also encountered the apparition of Jerry Bentham, once again happening upon his... Uh, Distinctive form as it roams the corridors and the hallways, sometimes following the startled employees as they go about their daily business. Sometimes he weighs dapple at them, although whether trying to attract their attention or convey, to convey some type of message isn't really known. It would seem that he's enjoying an afterlife that's every bit as eccentric and active as his physical life was. Well, from London... Let's go to Texas, Yorktown, Texas, to be specific, Yorktown Memorial Hospital. It's located 75 miles southeast of San Antonio, Texas. It's um, a small town, a little more than 2,000 people. Founded in 1848 and named after a famous Indian fighter named Captain John York, uh, although the... Uh, City's most famous son is uh, Harlan Block, a U.S. Marine who's pictured raising the stars and stripes on Iwo Jima in one of the 20th century's most iconic photos. Constructed in 1950 and opened in 1951, New Yorktown Memorial Hospital is a shining example of what can be achieved when the public collectively comes together in the service of the greater good. Prior to 1951, Yorktown residents and those from the surrounding towns are who are either sick or injured, who are forced to drive at least 30 miles in order to seek treatment, sometimes dying along the way if their condition was serious enough. Seeing a clear need for a hospital facility somewhat closer to home, Yorktown area residents and the Felician Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church conducted a politely aggressive fundraising campaign in order to raise money to fund a facility in their own city. Well... According to a fundraising pamphlet distributed to local citizens and businesses in 1949, many hands must toil and all of our efforts be combined before this beautiful building becomes, in actuality, the Yorktown Memorial Hospital. 
It went on to say it can't be completed through the work and determination of a few, even their great sacrifice will be a puny offering toward the great job to be done. Well, land was donated for the hospital, and sizable cast donations are made by the Felician sisters, as well as the charitable arm of the... Uh, the peanut gallery is tuning up. Well, the charitable donations were made by the charitable arm of the Ford Motor Company. I don't think they're too charitable today, but then they were. Numerous private citizens and small business owners contributed money to what became a landmark community project. Full capacity, the hospital could handle 21 admitted patients. Also had a number of specialist capabilities, such as one more time, obstetric and gynecological services devoted to delivering babies. There's also a state-of-the-art x-ray suite. Supplanted by a larger competing hospital, Yorktown Memorial finally closed its doors for good in 1987. It served the public for more than 36 years. Estimates vary on just how many patients died within the walls during that time, but the best approximation appears to be somewhere around 2,000, according to a general practice physician who worked there. Hospital building didn't stand out for long as it was converted for use as a drug and alcohol rehabilitation clinic. State was soon forced to close it down due to too many reports of its unaccountable patients causing problems, according to the Russell Rush Haunted Tour. A triple stabbing, a double murder, supposedly took place in the basement of the rehab facility. Female drug treatment counselors are romantically involved with two men, but the reports vary as to whether both were patients or one was a patient and the other was a colleague. Whatever the case was, uh, might have been, one of the males found the other two members of this particular love triangle together in the basement in a fit of rage, stabbed them both, killing the woman and wounding the man. Well, fighting for his life, the man who had been stabbed grappled, grappled with his killer and somehow managed to get the knife out of his grasp and stabbed him to death in turn. Blood stains that are said to be remnant uh, from that violent, sordid uh, knife frenzy can still be seen today, splattered across the brick walls of the basement. Though things are not quite as they seem when it comes to this blood. Spring of 2011, investigators from the Golden Crescent Paranormal Research Group locked themselves inside Yorktown Memorial Hospital in an attempt to uncover its secrets. So impressed were they with the results that Golden Crescent would return to Yorktown five more times. Group founder and investigator Rob Calzada remained skeptical to some of the ghost lore surrounding the hospital and particular details about the murder down in the basement. Uh, in a phone interview, he reported that our historical research couldn't validate that the murders in the basement ever actually took place. They'd examined as much documentation as possible to try to uncover evidence of the murder, all to no avail. Police department said they knew nothing about it, probably just an urban legend. But then the question always comes up, what about the bloodstains splattered over the basement wall? Yeah. He said when they got there, they got a cotton swab, took a sample of it down to the police station, get it tested. You're not to be animal blood. Well, it wasn't long before the investigators were hearing disembodied voices with his own ears as the team started to investigate the haunted basement. Calzada was all by himself at one end when all his colleagues clustered at the other end of the hallway. 
And as he's picking up a camcorder and sat down on the floor, he said he felt uh, a cobwebly sensation on his skin. All alone and shrouded in darkness, the, he was startled to hear a voice located uh, directly behind his ear. Say one word. Rob. Well, as his fellow investigators quickly converged on his position, that same voice spoke something in a foreign language. None of the uh, investigators could uh, identify it. They said it sounded like German or Italian, but uh, definitely uh, the gist was understood by everybody. The entity wanted them out. The photograph taken of Rob at the time showed an unusual light anomaly positioned directly next to him. He found the combination of the cobweb sensation, the light anomaly, and the voice to be very persuasive evidence of paranormal forces at work in the basement of the Yorktown Memorial. Hospital legend has it the basement's haunted by a kindly ghost nicknamed Papa. Nobody seems to know what his real name is. Story goes that Papa was once a maintenance worker at Yorktown Memorial. Even though there's no uh, existing reports of his ghost actually making an appearance, the disembodied whistling is frequently heard down in the basement is usually attributed to him. A digital voice recorder is left running in the empty basement overnight by the Ghost Adventures team during their lockdown at Yorktown Memorial recorded what sounds eerily like the plaintive wails of a woman in distress, as though she was crying out in either pain or despair. Lead investigator Jason Arnold of the Contact Paranormal Research uh, gives a different version of the basement murder story. According to him, the female was named Debbie, a nurse who just happened to be escorting two patients down to the rehab area in the basement one day when one of them suddenly whipped out a knife and both Debbie and the other patient was supposedly stabbed repeatedly and the rest of the story is consistent with what they'd already heard. Debbie and her attacker died at the scene. That's of course just a variation of the, the tale but in this case it, there was no love triangle aspect. Uh, the truth remains unclear and probably always will. Now The uh, there's been a number of individuals to personally investigate and collect eyewitness reports uh, concerning hundreds of haunted properties. And during that time, there have been many truly unique and bizarre haunted locations found. But in this particular case, they found a story of what was referred to as a guard donkey, a walking kicking security system used to roam the grounds at Yorktown Memorial. Spirit Yorktown rose to popularity after soldering up to Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures crew during their lockdown at Yorktown Memorial and became something of a minor internet celebrity after that. Spirit had his own Facebook page in which he listed his job as security for the hospital. Well... Spirit's life story had a sad and tragic ending when he was fatally poisoned by persons unknown. His remains are buried close to a trailer on the property. One has to wonder whether his spirits remain behind the guard the Yorktown Memorial Hospital campus for as long as it remains standing. 
During a September 2011 interview with journalist Roberto Ontiveros, the hospital's owner, real estate uh, broker, and attorney, Phil Ross, uh, said he originally bought the place as a potential warehouse, but it didn't take long for the reports of the paranormal occurrences to start piling up. A team of psychic investigators that uh, Ross asked to investigate the hospital sent a salty with the sensation of being choked by invisible hands and exposed to all sorts of violent imagery and disturbing things. In regard to some of the earthbound spirits that she encountered during a visit to Yorktown Memorial, Antiveros' article quotes uh, local paranormal investigator Joe Marks Rivera. One of them kept telling us to, to get the F out of there. But when they talked to him, they finally understood he was trying to warn them. He'd been butchered, butchered by a doctor doing a thyroid operation, was trying to help them uh, out, keep them safe, so they didn't have to undergo the same thing he did. Well, of course, there are two sides to every story. It would be unfair to tarnish the physician's reputation without more in the way of tangible evidence than the reportings of a ghost. But that doctor is also referred to by the Rush, Russell Rush Haunted Tour as one of the resident ghosts who haunts Yorktown Memorial, having died shortly after his retirement. Shadow of the apparition was seen walking past the doorway to the physician's lounge on at least one occasion by one of his astonished flesh and blood colleagues. According to uh, the doctor in question, he said, I couldn't see a face, I couldn't see details. Uh, but the doctor in question, uh, Dr. Gordon Barth, who was the witness, uh, a general practice physician who had the distinction of not only practicing medicine at Yorktown Memorial, was also born there. When he was interviewed, he talked about this encounter with the ghostly doctor. He said, I saw a silhouette that made me think it was him. Adam looked again, and he was gone. Every time Dr. Barr took a nap after that, he checked the corridor first to make sure nobody was standing there. Eyewitness testimony from doctors and other health care providers is usually given great weight by paranormal investigators. Such medical professionals tend to be well-educated and have strong uh, critical thinking skills with a keen eye for detail and also capable of keeping their heads in the crisis. Dr. Barth wasn't a believer in ghosts and the paranormal, but admits that he experienced a number of strange events at Yorktown Memorial that he cannot explain. Rob Calzada of the Golden Crescent Paranormal believes that he and his teammates may have run into the spirit of this particular doctor during their pre-investigation walk through the building. Strangely, this encounter with, with an almost full-body ap male apparition happened in broad daylight. And sometimes it does. He said, we're at the other end of the hallway looking down toward the doctor's lounge. Had a complete view of the corridor. Looking down the, the hall, uh, two of the members actually saw a doctor in a white coat walk from the emergency room into the doctor's lounge. Whatever this was had on a white coat, didn't have any legs, and the head was blurred. But it was definitely a doctor. Well, they didn't have any equipment with them because the investigation hadn't started yet. But uh, the two members of the team immediately compared notes and found out that they'd both seen the same thing. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. I want to stop it a little early because I've covered a lot of material. We'll be back tomorrow and talk more about uh, some of the world's most haunted hospitals and 
Whoa, things falling apart here. So until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show, saying have a truly great evening.